I'm calling this talk Duka Duka Duka. Uh, last weekend I was talking about the Eightfold Path, and the Eightfold Path is the path to the liberation, um, the cessation of Dukkha. And as I was um, putting that talk together, I was looking at the different um, the different definitions of Dukkha, and so I thought let's let's look into Dukkha a little bit more and uh, examine what that is and most importantly how it shows up in our lives uh, because understanding dukkha and and how we experience it is necessary to move uh, away from it um, to move towards freedom and the word dukkha is mostly translated as suffering and that's what we're most familiar with. Uh, and I tend to default to suffering, but it means a lot more than that. And I just wanted to touch on a few of the meanings of dukkha. Um, in the, in the, some of the discourses, or in most of the discourses, the suttas, the dukkha is translated as suffering. And it's most prominent in the First Noble Truth, I mean, excuse me, the, um, the Four Noble Truths, which in the sutta it says, um, what is suffering? Um, what is the origin of suffering? What is the cessation of suffering? What is the way leading to the sensation of suffering? And birth is suffering, aging, sickness, death, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, despair, not getting what we want. Um and clinging to things or suffering. This is suffering. And the origin of suffering is craving, is wanting things, um, craving for sensual pleasure, craving for being, craving for non-being. So this is the origin of suffering. And then the way out is the Eightfold Path. But in the preface or in the introduction, Bhikkhu Bodhi, who uh, translated this this uh, edition of the Majjhima Nikaya, the Middle Length Discourses, he said the the word originally Pali the Pali word dukkha originally meant simply pain and suffering, um, and that's a, a something it retains um, a lot of times. But it has a far wider significance. It it means uh, the inherent unsatisfactory nature of everything that's conditioned, all the conditioned things, and and that's our experience. Our experience is all conditioned. Um, and so it points to everything uh, that is conditioned. And some other, some other traditions have some other ways of looking at dukkha. Um, in, the, in a Zen tradition, this one person talked about it's the dissatisfaction or the nagging sense that something is off. <laughs> or, you know, it's just, just it's not quite right. Um, and it says that the fundamental source of suffering as conf is confusion about the true nature of things. Um, and uh, someone else said that uh, in the Jodo Shinsu tradition, it says, things don't go the way I want them to go. That's, that's dukkha. I like to say, um, I want when I want when I want it. And if I don't get it, that's dukkha. It's not get, getting what we want when we want it. Um, 
And Tan Jeff, Tanisaro Biku, I love his his um, expression of dukkha. He calls he translates dukkha not as as suffering but as stress, which sometimes is more relatable because the word suffering can not maybe not be relatable. I always kind of glossed over the word suffering. I always like, well, I don't really suffer um, when I imagine people in suffering. I go, I'm not suffering. I'm, you know, I may be unhappy. I may be miserable. My life might be um, uh, a bit off. I might not be getting what I want, but I don't really suffer. So to have this expanded definition and this expanded understanding is really helpful. But Tan Jeff who says stress, he translates dukkha as stress, he says, one helpful rule of thumb, as soon as you think you've found the single best translation for the word, think again. For no matter how you describe dukkha, it's always deeper, subtler, and more unsatisfactory than that. So it's, it's really this, this um, uh, dissatisfaction with the way things are. And I actually like um, Donald Rothberg, and this is this Donald Rothberg was the inspiration for uh, this talk. I, he gave a talk at Spirit Rock a couple of weeks ago about dukkha. He gave a series of talks. I didn't listen to them, but I was looking at the description of it. And he talked about the four meaning the four meanings of dukkha. There's the dukkha dukkha, which is the, as I was talking about the unpleasant experiences in life: birth, sickness, old age, death. That happens to all of us, but that so many of us, you know, especially um, sickness, old age, and death. So many of us try and um, deny and put off. And then there's the discomfort of change. Everything is impermanent. That's one of the characteristic. Things are impermanent. And when we want to hold on to things and not let them change, that's the cause of a lot of misery, a lot of discomfort, this inability to be with change. Um, and then the, I, the recognition that um, things are conditioned, and conditioned experiences can't provide lasting um, satisfaction because they're dependent on other things. And if one thing changes, then the next thing changes. And if we're latched on to this one particular thing, then we have to make sure you ever it's it's this world of managing things. It's like gotta make sure everything stays in place. It's like I I can't remember the name that um it's like Jenga, you know, that that tower you build. But it's also this old kids game that I can't remember. Maybe it's operation. If you move the wrong piece, then everything else just explodes out. And so that's what trying to make sure that everything stays in its place so that we don't so that nothing moves and I'm happy. If one piece moves then everything moves and then I'm not happy anymore. So that's the condition, the conditioning. Um, but what he, he talks about and I really like that he finds that one of the um, one of the uh, the best understandings of dukkha is as reactivity the two the second arrow it's the pushing away the unpleasant and holding on to the pleasant it's our reaction to the experience the two the the two arrows teaching the second arrow it's the first arrow is um there's an experience that we have uh and then there's all the thinking about the experience um I think in the sutta, the Buddha says somebody gets shot with an arrow 
And then instead of taking care of the arrow, they want to know who made the arrow, where did it come from, what color is it, and we want to have all these things. And we, I like to talk about the second arrow is like there's the experience of the, the sensation, whatever it is, the thought, the experience that we have, the situation, and then there's all the thinking about it, the, the proliferation of thought. And, and this happened, and then that's going to happen. I, you know, I always use, you know, my car broke down, and I got to get a new car, and I can't afford the, uh, a new car, and I got to get a new job, and I can't get a new job around here. I'm going to have to move, and I'll never get a blah, 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 blah. And we're a thousand miles away from the experience of, oh, I need to get my car fixed, uh, or whatever the situation is. So we keep adding on, adding on, and on. So there's this reactivity. And the sequence of reactivity is... is um, we have a sensory experience, whatever that is, there's the contact. And this is, this is really helpful. The second foundation of mindfulness is helpful with this when we recognize an experience and then we recognize whether it's pleasant or unpleasant or neither. And if something is pleasant, we tend to want more of it. If something is unpleasant, we tend to push it away. And then, so that's, um, that's when we get caught in reactivity. And that's when we get caught in dukkha. That's what the dukkha is. That, that's the bottom line, I think, is a really excellent understanding of dukkha. But what does it look like for us? That's the, that's the key point, is to um, define our own experience of dukkha. You know, and... and um, some of the some of the uh, a good way to look at this is is to understand the different types of cra craving. And one is I, I like the idea of taking birth as, and that's um, the craving for being. the The Buddha says there's there's three types of craving. There's um, the craving for sensual pleasure, sense pleasure, wealth, power, but also desire and attachment to ideas, ideals, views, opinions, theories, conceptions, beliefs, you know, all these things that we have attachment to. This is the way the world should be. This is the way you should behave. This is the way they should behave. This is how you should see me. This is how should, all those shoulds. And we're attached to those ideas. Um, we become, you know, this is, this, is, this is our conditioning, how we're brought up, both our familial conditioning, our societal conditioning. Things should be a certain way. And if they differ from that, it's wrong. And I'm unhappy and I need to, or I get angry or whatever. And so there's a reactivity when something doesn't go the way we want or when something, um, there's a dissonance between what we think it should be and what it actually is. Then there's the craving to be something uh, or to have some particular kind of experience. Um, it's it's ego related. Um, I like I like this is the like the taking birth as I think the craving for being the person who the person who has a, a Miata, the person who drives this, the person who has this particular job. I see something and I want it. The person who wants something. So many teachers, Joseph Goldstein is talking about this as catalog. You know, he didn't know he wanted it until he saw a catalog and, and it was in the catalog. And then all of a sudden it's like, I have to have that. The Dalai Lama talks about it too because he likes the gadgets. And then he, I guess he was walking by a sharper image store. Remember that? I had all the gadgets. 
and he saw all these things in the sharper image store and he didn't even know what they were or what they did but he's like ooh I want cuz it's shiny and it appeals to us you know um and then there's the craving not to want to to not want to experience unpleasant things the craving for non-existence it's like I don't want to experience unpleasant people I don't want to experience unpleasant situations um the uh, the uh, craving for non-existence. Sometimes it gets really, really dark. The craving to, that moving towards suicide, nihilism. So the inability to the real inability to be with discomfort. Um, so that that's how these different these different um, cravings are talked about in the in the in the in the suttas. And so again, what is that? What is that? How does that show up in our lives? What strong beliefs do we have that we can't let go of our partner should behave a different way and I won't I can't be happy until they behave the way they need to behave um, you know we have this this these yeah all the stories that we believe all the things um, and Another way of um, looking at dukkha is our expectations. What kind of expectations do we have? What kind of expectations do we have for ourselves, for others? I, I, I think should is, is a really great thing to put in here. Um, people should behave a certain way. I should. I've been doing this a long time. Shouldn't I be enlightened by now? You know? You know, how come other people just don't understand? That's a good one, too. You know, we have expectations, all kinds of expectations around so many different types of things. And, um, and then how does it show up as stress, as fear, as anxiety, perfectionism? You know, perfectionism can be um, this chasing things and, and making things sure things turn out a certain way because then we'll be okay if I get everything right then you can't a I'll be bulletproof you can't hurt me if I've been perfect then there's no way you can hurt me that's one that was part of my conditioning was making sure everything was right so then I was like I'm good I can be happy if everything's perfect and obviously everything's not perfect so that never worked um so the you know, the desires that we have that tie in with the, these types of cravings to be seen a certain way, to be seen as a loving person, to be seen as a smart person, to be seen as a caring person, to be seen as a wise person, to be seen as cool, to be seen as any... What stories? These are, these are this conditioning we have create these stories. To be liked, to be successful, you know, in any place. Whatever it is, you have to see what causes you discomfort. When you are feeling uncomfortable, what is underneath it? Often the reactivity is to fix the situation. We react to the situation. The person's not doing what I want them to do. Instead of saying, what's underneath this? Oh, there's this fear that if they don't do what I want them to do, then I won't get what I think I need. You know, there, as Tanjeff said, um, 
it's always deeper, subtler, and more unsatisfactory. It's not just fixing the things on the surface. It's really taking a dive and what's, what's underneath, what's really driving our dukkha, our dissatisfaction. It takes time. It's not something that happens overnight. It takes a willingness, which is, I think, why it's so helpful to do the practice of sitting in the moment and being fully present and coming back to the now because those experiences are right here. Asking that question, what is this? Not, well, they didn't do what I wanted them to do. It's like, but there's, what's underneath that story? Oh, is there an emotion? Is there a feeling? that we have to tend to. So we have to be willing to let go of these conditioned stories, these ideas. And I love um, Philip Moffat wrote a book called From Emotional Chaos to Clarity and actually had seen him at a conference I was at a number of years ago and he gave a little talk and he talked about these things that we have to let go of um, in order to... uh, is letting go of our, our dukkha um, and certain things that he felt. And he, um, one of the things he said is to let go of your, surrender your self-righteousness, that ego that says, well, this is the way it should be, and I know. Even if we don't say it, even if we don't behave that way, even if we're not you know, rude or crude to people, sometimes there's this deep sense of, I know this is the way it should be. So letting go of that. Another thing he said, which is really helpful, to not measure your worth by your success in the world or by outside markers. And success doesn't necessarily mean financial or, or um, you know, power. It means outside markers, judging your insides by, by what, but what other people say or what society says, something that we're chasing. Because we're never going to get there. Sonia Renee Taylor talks about this in The Body is Not an Apology, and in certain talks I've heard her give, she talks about that the, the marker is always being moved, so we can just kind of get there, and then it's over here because everything changes. You know, and so then we have to run over here and then, oh, sorry, it's over there. And then we have to run over there. So to really stop judging ourselves by those outside markers. And this is where I think the the path to freedom is the Eightfold Path, because that is a path that guides you with wisdom, with clarity, with, with integrity, to be in the world in a way that is not dependent on outside markers. It's self-contained and wise and skillful and non-harming, which is so important and gentle and forgiving and loving to ourselves as as well as other people. So if you move in that direction, then there's a freedom from that grasping for outside outside, um, um, Now the word has escaped me. From outside, you know, commendation from people saying, good, good girl, good girl, patting me on the head, you know, getting my gold stars. If I have my gold stars, I'm really happy. 
you know, because that means something. I brought, I was brought up kind of that way. If you do X, Y, or Z, you'll get rewarded. And so I still have that outside, that tendency to want outside markers. And it's really a, no, let go, because that's, there's never, there, no, there are never enough outside markers. Can I let go and recognize that the ease comes from, it's an internal ease. And then I love, I love this one. He says, give up being the star of your own movie. It's not all about us. You know, that I, me, my, I, me, my, whatever it is, let it go. I'm not, it's not about me all the time. It's not personal. And um, so that, I, I appreciate that as well. And then one of the, one other thing I was in a, I was in a, um, a group this week. Um, it was a, uh, it was a class I had taken a couple of years ago, a training I did. And every, every couple, few months or so we get together and just have a little, um, check in. And it was with James Barras and who's a teacher. Um, and he talked about, I don't think, I don't know if this is his quote or he was sharing this from someone else. And um, I can't remember if he did. I don't. I didn't catch who he said said it. But he said, "Suffering, dukkha, suffering and acceptance cannot exist at the same time," which points to dukkha as an inability to be present with reality, which is what it is. It's that pushing away or pulling towards instead of just being present with. Again, that's why this meditation is so helpful. It's like, what is right now and can I be with? So suffering and acceptance cannot exist at the same time. So I think that's worthy of reflection. I It's very similar to uh, something I heard many years ago about grumbling and gratitude. If I'm in gratitude, I'm not grumbling. If I'm grumbling about something, it's difficult to be grateful. So to shift the perspective. Now, acceptance does not mean acquiescence. Acquiescence means a kind of condoning. Acceptance means this is the way it is right now. This is what's happening. Okay. I had an, I, I used to tell this story a lot. When I was a kid, I was a nanny and I was taking care of a couple of kids and one of them was like eight or nine years old and she wanted a salami sandwich. It was some evening. And I said, there's no salami in the house. So she had a fit. She was on the floor. She was screaming. She was kicking her legs, you know, one of those tantrums that children sometimes have. And I just looked at her and I went, there's no salami. So she was in full-on dukkha, fighting reality. It may be unpleasant. It may not be what you want. But can you accept the fact that this is the way it is right now? Okay, then, you know, then what do you do? Oh, maybe next time your, your, your parents go to the store, you put salami on the shopping list. You know, ask them to buy it for you when they go shopping. So there's that recognition. That's a really silly, small example, but life is made up of a whole bunch of those 
experiences of no salami or there's not this or there's not that and and they ran out of this and that's not happening and the world is this and the world is that and instead of going this is the way it is it's on perhaps it's causing harm and acknowledging okay this is the way it is how do i hold it how do i hold the emotions around it without screaming no 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 birth death sickness old age lamentation pain grief can I hold it and not fight against it? The dukkha occurs when we, when we come into adversarial relationship with it. And if there's, if there's harm being caused, we work to end it. Always have to say that. Acceptance does not mean condoning. It means acknowledging reality. And then the next step is to see what needs to be done. But to hold what's present. Um, and it's not an intellectual exercise. This is something that came up in a, a class I taught last week about a couple, yeah, I taught the, a class about love a week ago at another, at another community, another sangha. And somebody was having a difficult time with the concept of, of loving difficult people. And she said, I can't love, a couple people said, I can't love murderers, I can't love torturers. And it's not an intellectual exercise where we try and think our way into feeling something. It's an, instead, it's an inclining the mind to move in a particular direction. So how we incline our mind, again, the Eightfold Path, wise intention. We set an intention to be present for reality. Just as we set an intention in this conversation around love, to move towards, to move through the world with kindness, with friendliness, with compassion, and see where it takes us. So there's, an, there's not an intellectual thing. There's maybe the understanding of it intellectually, but there's the movement. There's then it becomes more experiential. How do we ex now experience the world if this is the way we want to move through the world? We can't think our way into it. We have to be willing to experience it. We have to be willing to sit still for the dukkha. Whatever the dukkha is, however we experience dukkha, can we stay present for it? And, you know, it's, it's um, who is it said? Um, Tukten Chodron said, if we don't spend time considering what dukkha is, then we won't seek liberation and awakening. You know, instead we'll make the Dharma only, use the Dharma only to make our lives a little, a little easier, a little bit better. And Ajahn Chah talked about that a lot too. We have to be willing to experience our suffering. If we don't, you know, there's the, there's the suffering that leads away from suffering and there's the suffering that leads towards more suffering. And the dukkha that we are willing to experience and recognize and be with is the dukkha that leads us away and towards liberation. The dukkha that we're unwilling to experience just leads to more dukkha. So this is why it's so important to recognize where you are uncomfortable, to recognize where it's painful for you to be in the world and how it shows up in your life. And this is a reflection of, of as you go through the day, just little things. It's, it's a reflection of when, when you sit on the cushion 
and that's again so helpful when you sit and um, you look at what's pulling me away and come back and what's underneath what's pulling me what's underneath what's what am I rubbing up against or recognize those triggers in in your life those those hot buttons that just send you off the rails um, or the recognizing the physical experiences like when your your chest is tight or your jaw is clenched or your fists are clenched or your your stomach is tied up in knots begin to recognize the physical components of dukkha for you like your 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 shoulders are up around your ears and you're like ah. that's a tell stop pay attention inquiry investigation really important mindfulness investigate investigation what's going on here um so, dukkha, dukkha, dukkha. What's your dukkha look like? Those are always the questions. What does it look like for you? How does it show up in your life? And can you sit with it and then utilize that as a, as a means of, of moving away from dukkha towards freedom, towards liberation? So, thank you, thank you, thank you, my friends, uh, for you being here and for your kind attention. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.